the dead format would like to start this cast off by thanking our guests jerry and pat from leaving a legacy and nathan from eternal dirtles we had a blast recording this cast this week and we really hope you enjoy it we'd also like to remind everybody about the leaving a legacy tournament coming up this saturday november 17th at gaming etc in acton mass and also let people know that we're going to be hosting a canned food drive as well where each can donated at the tournament site will enter you in a raffle to win cards that have been posted on the event page if you like the content that we have been creating definitely check us out at patreon.com slash the dead format and don't hesitate to stop by the leaving a legacy and eternal dirtles patreon as well we'd like to thank our new patrons for this week brendan mcbride jonathan peterson Anne. McCune and Richard Spoonholtz. Our patrons mean the world to us, and we can't thank you enough for the support that we get for doing this every week. Now, on to the highly anticipated reserve list part two. Pat, lead us in. <laughs> Welcome to the Dead Format and Friends, Episode 1. My name is Ian McEwen, and joining me tonight are some of the community's finest and most distinguished members, and also Jerry May. And we're here to talk about the reserve list. Everyone's favorite topic. Yeah, this debate has been uh, three weeks in the making. We have some very polar opinions, and we're very lucky to have our own uh, narrator, or excuse me, moderator, uh, Nathan Golia from Eternal Dirtles podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? I I was under the understanding that this spinoff series was going to be named The Dead Horse. That's <laughs> that's what this was going to be. <laughs> I, I don't get the joke. What is it? <laughs> All right, I'll I'll tell you when you're older. <laughs> We're off to a rousing start. It's true. It's true. It's Pat. It's Pat here. Uh, I'm, get some I, daily dose of conspiracy theory yeah. to live in the mood. <laughs> I hope you all got your tin hats on. <laughs> God, can I? Can we? Re, can we redraw lots for teams? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you need the wild card, man. Everyone needs the wild card on their team. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm afraid to debate Jerry. I gotta be honest. Like arguing with Jerry online is like stealing candy from a baby. But arguing with Jerry in real life, he, he's he got the silver tongue, man. He has some great quotes, some historical quotes he pulls out of nowhere. I, oh, it's easy. You just make them up and attribute a famous person to him. <laughs> Guys, I have the smartest brain. It's amazing. You know, I've been in a, I've been, we've been in a Facebook chat for what, like eight hours. And I can't tell if you guys are friends or not. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the other thing too, is that our real vitriolic chat has spilled over into the, into the chat for this cast. Yeah. And so it's, it's getting a little confusing. It's getting a little heated. 
<laughs> yeah, it's getting. Oh man. I like. I'm like looking down to do work, and then I look up, and there's like 20 messages, just like insult <laughs> after insult. <laughs> So, uh, uh, Ian's calling me an NPC. Pat's brainwashed Alec Jones. <laughs> the best, the best. Um, so two things. Um, uh, James Shu is part of our other uh, kind of like our other vitriolic uh, uh, chat. And I feel bad for him because he is halfway across the world. So he has to see, he goes to bed and then wakes up to probably hundreds and hundreds of, of, of chat messages. And I feel terrible for him because it's, he, there's no way he reads them because I think that'd be the worst day to start or end your day. Bro, um, he absolutely does because I get like smiley faces on two day old comments. Man, he's the real MVP. Um, yes. Also, uh, um, I don't know. You, you might want to cut this out of the cast, Ian. But um, I just want to give you such a huge shout out for the uh, the Venn diagram, the four way Venn diagram you made for this for this episode. <laughs> uh, I thought we were making this the cover photo for oh, the episode. Man. It is. It's <laughs> going out on the tweet for this episode. It is one of the funniest <laughs> things I have ever seen. I cannot believe it is so perfect. It is so perfect, and every time I look at it, it makes me laugh, and I see new things every time. It's great. It's great. I'm going to put like our, our Twitter faces on it and, and release it with the episode. <laughs> I want to make it into a poster and hang it in my room. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I, I, I love it. I love it. We got to work Nate in. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm, for I'm sure. not understanding this inner circle. Is this saying that me and Ian agree on unions? No. No, Ian's the only one not in the <laughs> yeah, unions. Yeah, Ian's not into unions. But you, me, uh, and, you, me and Tom are all into unions. Oh, uh, I see. Uh, oh, but why is it then? Why is it me, me, Tom, and Ian are chain lightning as a sorcery? Oh, Be- because, yeah, because exactly. <laughs> There's so now many layers. Now I'm understanding this. Is, this. this is there is no way. So many layers. This could not have been made by anybody else but Ian. It is. It's absolutely perfect. It is perfect. And I do like the fact that Jerry and Tom share intersectional feminism. Yeah, this could. Not- <laughs> well, it's certainly certainly could not have. No, it could, this could not have been made by anyone other than Ian. There are so many layers to this to this Venn diagram, and I just love the fact that that Tom and Jerry share intersectional feminism, and Tom is alone in his love of Downton Abbey. It's just great. <laughs> Downton Abbey is a great show. Sure, it is, Tom. <laughs> We're not doing this tonight. No, veto, veto. No, Tom. Tom found a little lackey who who talks about Downtown Abbey with him. He's on our Patreon. <laughs> Downton. I love that you call it Downtown Abbey. That makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian. Let's get started. <laughs> oh, uh, fucking believable. All right. Uh, so we have our moderator, our biased moderator. This is going to be like a debate style, but Nate had originally uh, asked us or volunteered, I guess, as tribute to go against us in this argument. He is against the reserve list. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Nate, but I believe you're firmly against the reserve list. But you're also very skilled from your your nine to five job as a moderator of debates. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's that's about seventy percent correct. I I actually was I thought when I when I listened to your podcast, I was expecting a different take, and when I heard your take, I was like, huh. That's actually an interesting angle. I disagree, but it would be fun to talk about. <laughs> but because uh, Pat and Jerry also came on, I volunteered. Yes, I'm a reporter by day, so I moderate <laughs> panels at events and stuff. So someone's got to do it, and I will. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun couple of hours here, <laughs> which we'll trim down to much less than that. Feel uh, feel free to take sides, ref. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kept, I was thinking I'll play devil's advocate and switch sides. Depending on the question, Ooh, we'll I see like how that. that goes. 
I like that too. The classic so, devil's triangle. Mm, that's something else. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, we have the Leaving Legacy open uh, at Gaming Etc. next weekend, uh, 11 17. I'm really excited for, for that. So. Um, if people aren't into it, if people haven't heard about it, I should say, uh, we're partnering with, uh, Wilson from cardboard live. He's coming up. He's going to be podcast. He's going to be streaming the event with us, uh, live on Twitch. Uh, we'll have the CBL extensions. So you'll be able to interact with deck lists and get live updates on the metagame. We're doing some really cool stuff with that. Um, we also have a cool, uh, canned food drive going on at the event that we kind of just, we sort of just figured it out this week. Uh, we'll be donating cards for raffles. So bring in your canned food. You can write your name on it with a Sharpie and, uh, we'll be pulling those for like our raffle, which will be really neat. We'll each, each of us are going to what donate like our signature card apparently. And, uh, we'll raffle those off. Yeah. I decided today in honor of Ian's love of old school that with the card Titan eternal, old school rule set i'm going to be donating an invocation counterspell so <laughs> oh. you can you can bring that to eternal weekend next year and play that, old school against Anne with that artwork <laughs> that might deter people from <laughs> from donating to the rap wait does that mean i have to i have to like like i kind of like the dark ritual too should i just like <laughs> the dark ritual can be mine are we just gonna make this whole thing trolling Ian and his love of old school and old borders now I'll side with Ian. I'll I'll donate an old old school card. Okay, all right. That'll I'm donating a risk factor, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Just donate a Grizzle right. Brand. Let's get this show on the road. <laughs> Fine, but all you right. have to dress up like Santa because we're pulling these these uh, cans out of a, a sack. So I think this is going to be like a thematic thing. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Everyone knows Santa is the primary saint of uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. We've also got this uh, this charity. We've talked about this a couple times now. We're going to be adopting a family in the Boston area for Christmas as a uh, a union between our podcasts, as a, a sign of good faith entering this debate. And reaching across the aisle. Reaching across the aisle, exactly. <laughs> and I want to shout out real quick. There's this dude. I think his name is Mike Hilton. He's in our uh, Patreon. He's active on Twitter. And He's just a great dude. He told me he donated a Tropical Island to you guys at one point. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of, I got my mail earlier today and I had the envelope from him with the uh, Tropical Island in it. So he actually said half of that is ours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have words with him. <laughs> I, I just, I just want make to a, make a note here that a beta dark ritual is three times the price of an invocation dark ritual. So I can actually almost give you a full play set of dark writs for the price of a single beta. So and thank thank you to, to to wizards for making the invocations for making old school affordable. I appreciate that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's almost it's almost as if uh, it's not the card itself, Pat, but the original printing that holds the value. Yeah, crazy, right? All right, guys. Crazy. Let's, let's save it for the octagon here. Okay. <laughs> Nicely done. What a professional. Jeez. I like that. Uh, yeah. So we'll be doing the. Uh, we're we're adopting the the family, or I'd like to do maybe two if we can get enough um, for Christmas. Um, so we'll, we'll be working in, I'll be working, uh, some things on the Facebook page and we'll, we'll do some stuff, uh, at the tournament itself. It should be a really good time. Like I said, we'll stream it. Um, there's a really good chance we get up to, uh, a three and a half K and, and maybe stretch to a five K if we can, uh, that'd be really cool too. So, um, please, uh, check out the show notes for links, uh, on, on the event and stuff and, uh, and, and join us. And if you can't make it, if you're way across the country or whatever, um, you can find us, uh, streaming it, um, on 1117 twitch.tv slash leaving a legacy. 
If you're across the country, that's no excuse, man. We got to get a caravan coming here. Yeah, I did. Yo, I actually 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 have some. I'm going to Miami instead. But oh no, that's in God's name would you do that? Well, I didn't know what was happening. (laughs) We'll we'll just move the tournament to Miami. (laughs) Yeah, they're like quarterly. Uh, We actually actually have some uh, people who might be flying from uh, California, Pat. Oh, really? Yeah, that's we got crazy. we got people coming far and wide. That's crazy. That's a that's crazy in like an amazing way. Yeah, that's awesome. Not crazy in like an Alex Jones way. Right, right. We'll save that for later. <laughs> 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 All right. Anything else? We good? I think no. Let's. Good, yeah. I'm I'm itching to get into it. All right. We got our auto. Uh, is that his name from The Simpsons? Auto the bus driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's our boy Nate. Nate's gonna take the take the reins here if you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Well, I think we should start by uh, sort of setting the baseline for where we were gonna, where we were talking about last time. So maybe we're, we're gonna start with uh, Ian and Tom. I'd like you to just sort of, if you can, I'm gonna give you two minutes or so here. Um, and actually, I'm gonna start the hour now, so we'll have an hour from right now uh, for the whole debate. Can you just encapsulate your argument about why you believe the reserve list to be good for Wizards of the Coast business? Tom? You want to take this in, or you want me to? <laughs> Go ahead, bro. All right, so. The reserve list is good for Wizards of the Coast in many ways. And the first being that repealing the reserve list is disruptive to an already successful business model. In repealing the reserve list to attempt to increase long-term revenue, Wizards could end up upsetting the balance in the secondary market that is very delicate. And Wizards has already shown that it's not able to understand balancing reprint values and sets and even making mistakes with card printings in standard, which is a much simpler matter than balancing secondary market prices. The lawsuit or lawsuits probably wouldn't matter, but what's more likely to happen would be the the player base would be much more polarized between the the haves and the have-nots. Insider information or the leaking of the repeal of the reserve list and lack of transparency between connected vendors would be a very, very large problem. And if Wizards decided to do this with their set development cycle measured in years, there would be a lot of time for that to leak out. Wizards can do many things to increase its revenues that it's already starting to act on, such as the premium box toppers from UMA, gold-bordered promos, where Wizards hasn't leaked back into that market in a long time, even sort of masking the reprinting of those cards by doing something like offering a gold-bordered cube with a percentage of sales going to charity. But really, the biggest thing, forget about everything that I just said, Wizards is moving digital with higher profit margins and more interactive gameplay that can be changed after the cards roll off of the press. Old school and vintage and legacy magic doesn't jive with the new digital format and Wizards has an incentive to not bring the game back to where it was. Also, Hasbro putting pressure on Wizards of the Coast to grow sales It's measured in year-over-year revenue, and repealing the reserve list would be a temporary spike. What do you do next? So, if the reserve list continues to outpace growth in the game, why tap that stored value yet when there isn't a problem, when there are many delicate issues 
and the game is continuing to grow as it is. All right. So I'm going to encapsulate that quickly, and it, it, there's a couple arguments there. One is that the reserved list is supporting Wizards' business um, by, by incentivizing buying new cards, and also that the repeal of it would be incredibly disruptive at this point. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Pat and Jerry now. Um, is that is that fair, Tom? I, fair I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Pat and Jerry. Now, would you guys? How would how do you guys react to those points? Which one of them do you think you want to start with in rebutting? Uh, well, I think first and foremost, uh, it's it's almost like we don't have to defend ourselves because it, the vast majority of the legacy player base is in favor of repealing the reserve list. Now, just because the majority feels that way does not mean it is the correct. Uh, step to take. Uh, however, we have seen time and time again in both magic with things such as the master sets um, proving that reprints do not destroy value in the way that the uh, sky is falling uh, advocates uh, want us to believe. But also outside of magic in, in uh, things like the comic book industry or the sports card industry that uh, the real value is in the original printings of the card not in the reprintings for convenience sake. And that the long-held belief that repealing the reserve list would tank prices is vastly overblown. I think we can at least agree on that to put that to rest, that if they did reprint some of these reserve list cards, um, we would see prices be quite stable on the original printings. So I, um, I didn't mention any anything to do with actual value in the argument that I set out. The value of the cards being reprinted isn't, isn't relevant to the argument that we're having. And I do agree with you that the prices would most likely remain sticky, but the liquidity would go go down quite a bit. We saw we saw that happen with cards like Imperial Recruiter, where they did decrease some value a little bit, but really the liquidity in that card dropped drastically when it was reprinted. And I mean, I think that argument is is for another day, whether that's necessarily a bad thing. But I think that the main argument of why we should keep the reserve list for the majority of the community is that uh, we are trying to bolster these prices because it's good for Wizards image. It's good for not just legacy and vintage players, but also standard players because they have this security blanket of expensive cards where this money that they are sinking into a hobby, while they shouldn't think of it as an investment, it does provide them that security blanket feel that, oh, these cards aren't just going to be worthless pieces of cardboard tomorrow. Um, I think that is really what the basis of the reserve list argument hinges on. And I think without acknowledging that um, we can't really have an honest discussion of the reserve list. Well, do do you agree that repealing the reserve list would be disruptive to its business model? Not if it is handled in a proper way, which I believe Wizards has shown they can handle uh, over the years with the master sets. Master sets were a great trial run, as well as the box toppers. The latest box toppers are another slam dunk for Wizards. Um, imagine if Ultimate Masters, which got uh, quite a bit of flack because of its price tag, imagine if the box toppers were reserve list cards. We wouldn't hear anyone complaining about the MSRP of Ultimate Masters. And you know what people wouldn't be complaining about is the increase to Wizards 
Wizards profits when they do their quarterly reports. And yes, I agree, the first one would give a huge boost because of the excitement, but they can definitely stretch this out over a long, long time just because of the value that is stored in reserve list cards. They can give us a little bit every year and it would be it would be happy. People would enjoy getting uh, additional copies of these into the market and it would still retain the value and they could spread this out over a long time. I'm not saying they should reprint Black Lotus in the first run, but hey, maybe give us uh, some dual lands and then maybe next year give us uh, a tabernacle or, you know, these these cards have such value inherently that you can give us one, one or two a year or a quarter and they can stretch this out over a long time so that this price bump stays with us for a long, long time into uh, Hasbro and Wizards profits. Now, imagine that Wizards did this 10 years ago. Where would the game be? I think Legacy would be in a much more vibrant place. I think prices would be much more stable because on one point I didn't get to is the reserve list is actively bad for Magic because it causes a great amount of instability in the fact that we see these massive buyouts. And believe me that when the bubble pops, and it is a when, it is not an if, Magic is a bubble and it will pop eventually. When it pops, it is going to cause infinite more damage to the player's confidence in Magic than repealing the reserve list ever would repealing the reserve list may be ripping off a band-aid but it's better to get it out of the way than waiting for the market to cause it the uh, cause it to pop on its own and the devastation that would follow from that just yeah i just i just want to uh just sub something in there real quick too and i want to kind of agree with jerry here one of the things that's propping up all these prices of the reserve list and one of the things that's encouraging people to to uh, uh, approach these buyouts as an as a legitimate investment is the fact that the reserve list is a thing. And if you remove that reserve list, those buyouts don't happen. They keep prices a lot more stable and they they don't scare people away from getting into the format. Yeah. All I, the reserve I, I want to sorry, I just want to jump in quick mm-hmm. uh, management here. I want to jump in. There's a couple points here. One is uh, on the health of legacy. The other one is on liquidity of cards. I want to start with Pat and Jerry. Um is there is there an argument that the reserve list is actually impact uh, um, harmful for the liquidity of cards because as they get so expensive and become such massive uh, financial purchases, it actually makes it harder to realize that value if you're in it for an investment purpose. Uh, so unpacking that a little bit, I think that there's several points there. Um, One, I would say, yes, the reserve list is harmful to Legacy because I love Legacy. It's my favorite format. If Legacy didn't exist, I most likely would not play Magic anymore. And being as involved with Legacy as I am, I know Legacy is dying a slow death. It's taking a long time, and I'm going to enjoy every last minute of it, but on the course we are on, Legacy does not have an infinite shelf life, and that is what is really at the root of my staunch opposition to the reserve list, is it is killing Legacy. Every year, cards get damaged, cards get lost, there are fires, there are floods, there are thefts, um, and these cards get taken off the market, these prices go up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and eventually we're going to get to the point where you're not going to be able to play Legacy because no one can afford a deck. And it's already like that in great swaths of the country. You know, there are legacy strongholds because that this is where the cards have been centralized there are entire areas of the country where you can't find legacy cards if you wanted to you have to buy them offline and no one really wants to spend that much money on a piece of cardboard and risk it being lost in the mail or what have you with the various scams and you know everything else going on so it's it's causing a great detriment to the health of legacy because it is artificially limiting the player base legacy if it was not for the reserve list i have no doubt in my mind would be the most popular format in magic hands down which is the problem 
if these cards become available for more people, the number of players who are on that standard subscription plan drops drastically. And to go back to the question that I asked, what what would have happened if the reserve list was repealed 10 years ago? You are absolutely right. There would be way more legacy players. Wizards would be worse off with its revenue. But you can say the same exact thing about modern. That argument tells is saying that modern shouldn't exist because it draws people away from standard. It's not. It's the exact opposite. By providing players an ability to play with their cards past rotation of standard, it isn't reassuring them that these cards will hold value and they'll still be able to use them, which means they don't want to jump out of standard and play some other game. Because if, the, if standard was just standard, you would not have the lifetime of players that you do playing Magic because people would get bored of buying a standard deck over and over. There are going to be players who play standard, and then they grow into modern, and then they grow into legacy if legacy has the availability. Sorry, Pat. No, no, that's, no that's fine. I'm just really excited to hop in here because I, I completely agree with you, Jerry, on this point. I imagine the player base of Magic is a lot like an escalator, right? Like People start at the bottom, and they start with draft. They start with standard. And as that, and if there weren't eternal formats like modern and like legacy, and certainly to a lesser extent something like vintage, uh, and things like EDH, if there weren't those formats, the cards that the people are drafting, the cards that people are playing in standard would never have any life after they rotate out. They would be completely worthless. That That's cards that would be sold today would be completely worthless if there weren't these eternal formats. Uh, the further and further these eternal format formats are, are that are harder for people to get into, uh, the less and less potential that these cards have uh, for life after standard. Because I wanted to ask you guys, Ian and Tom, because you didn't cover this in your episode, and I wish you had. Because I really want, I'm really curious about this. As as legacy podcasters and legacy, you know, format aficionados, are you concerned about the death of the format? Your podcast is called the Dead Format. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. <laughs> That's explicitly a nod to the fact that this format is never going to grow. This format, I, I don't believe that it's, it is kind of dying in a way because the cards, you know, sort of spread out over the world and these local playgroups sort of get, I, I don't want to say like a endangered species or anything, but it, it is definitely something you worry about. But I believe that fundamentally the magic player base is a pyramid. And at the bottom, you have standard players. That has to be the largest rung of players. And in the middle, you have modern players. And at the top, you have legacy players. And this pyramid can get wider at the base, and it can contract at the base. But ultimately, I, I agree with what you were saying about the modern, you know, the, the cards in standard needed to have value long term. And that value comes from modern mostly, the cards that are playable long term in modern. And I think that they do need to create a format eventually that's like a newer modern than what we currently have because the percentage of cards in the current standard sets that are playable in modern just shrinks year after year. And the percentage of cards from the standard format that are playable in legacy is infinitesimally small. I mean, we're talking about like 0.1% of cards that can see legacy play. So what we need is a format for these cards to have you know longer demand and for that format to then fold up into another format where these cards have demand forever where they're literally the the bonds of the economy tom the the point that got made was we need these eternal formats because otherwise standard cards would lose all their value and people would hop to different games but what you guys are suggesting is that wizards should recycle through that value as time passes it's not really a store of value if those cards continue to fluctuate in value because of reprinting the standard player base 
we talked about how Wizards balanced Modern with the Master Sets reprints. If you take a look at the standard player base after the Modern Master Sets, it started to shrink. And that pyramid that Ian was talking about sort of swelled in the middle at Modern. And Wizards really had to push those Modern reprints to keep its revenue growing. And we saw bad things happen to Standard in that time frame. That that had nothing to do with modern. That had entirely everything to do with the fact that standard was miserable to play at that time. But that that's neither here or there. And I think what you're missing is the nuance of the point, Tom. We're not t- saying that they should reprint these cards into the ground. We're saying that they should keep the supply of reserve list cards equal to the amount of reserve list cards that get destroyed every year because eventually it's going to get to the point in the distant future where these cards just don't exist anymore. What we are saying is not that they should be handing out packs of reserve list cards to every player who walks in the door at FNM. I, I never said that, that they... I that never, I are, never let said me finish, that that's what they let should Let me do. finish. Tom... <laughs> Uh, by ha- by handing it out and printing them into the ground, we are saying that they need to keep the reserve list cards at a level where these continue to be available and are not just entering into the realm of pure collector's item. You need to have players able to play the game. Jerry, I- I'd like to just ask you pointedly, Can you? is there a way that you think that can be managed to the point where the amount of cards that are currently on the reserve list are able to be recirculated into um, into uh, into the ecosystem, I guess, to keep legacy a format that can be played enough to, you know, make cards playable in legacy while still balancing the res- the investment that people have in reserve list cards. Is that what you're saying? That there needs to be some sort of yeah, I there? feel I feel Tarmogoyf with the modern master sets is the perfect example of this. When Tarmogoyf was reprinted, it was the chase card for pretty much legacy, modern, like people wanted their goddamn Tarmogoyfs. And you know what happened? They reprinted Tarmogoyf, its price dipped for about a week, and then went up from there. And that's not because um, players were buying up all these Tarmogoyfs and we were seeing the same number of players. We were seeing more players in modern, which means more players needed access to these cards. And so now they wanted to go out and buy these cards, bringing up the price of not just Tarmogoyf, but other cards that go in Tarmogoyf decks. It supported the entire community. It allowed more players to play the game. It increased Wizards' revenue because they were selling packs out left and right. Uh, like, do you remember the craze around the first Modern Masters sets? Yeah. It was insane. People yeah, it was were, so I've much never bigger seen than more the excited. So uh, what, one thing I want to mention here, um, I'm actually looking, it's, it's funny you brought up Tarmogoyf, Jerry, because I brought up the uh, the finance chart for Tarmogoyf over the course of the of the life of the card, uh, the future site printing, and you do see back in what 2013 was the was the first Modern Masters, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you that card leveled out at about 130 dollars, and then right after it was printed, it jumped up to 189, topped out at about 208, and then and then then it leveled off back to about 100 dollars. So re- yeah, in the it, long run, and that was after like two or three printings. Like correct. it took two or three printings just to bring it back to where it Co- was before. Correct. And th- and now this again, this is a card that isn't even that widely played anymore. Like term like Jund Jund is basically not a thing in modern, and Tarmogif is really not that big of a deal in Legacy either. So these are cards that even without a, a significantly high demand still are still holding their value after countless after numerous reprints numerous reprints yeah 
So that I alone, I think, shows that Wizards has got the reprint formula down. They know how many cards to print that enables players to get into the game. We have more players playing modern than ever before. We still have a very healthy standard scene. There's plenty of players playing standard, but players have Tarmogoyfs in their hands, in their binders, and they're able to play with these cards. Imagine if Tarmogoyf had never been reprinted. What would Tarmogoyf's print price be? Probably something close to Underground C's price. Right, right. Um, and one thing I also have note. The fact that you, you say that they, they do have the formula down for reprinting uh, reprinting cards, if you look at the EV of master sets, they're pretty much always on the money with where they need to be. Like, yeah, there's some variance there, um, you know, up and down of, of what the EV is of a box with, before it's opened. Uh, but they are they are basically where they need to be to make sure those boxes are selling. There hasn't really been a stinker of a master set with the exception of Eternal Masters. And I think that that no, set not was, eternal. You mean iconic, iconic masters? Uh, well, eternal masters a little wasn't that great either. That was the legacy one that came out around 2016 uh, when we were in Columbus. Um, masters 25, right? Uh, no, no, no. Eternal masters, EMA was that came in that green box. Remember we drafted it. E- and we EMA was a that was a huge success. Yeah, oh, but yeah. The, I remember the, the, the EV of the set and... wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, it was still fine. Don't get me wrong. It was still a good set. Uh, IMA was another one too, but I think that was again that was a poorly planned product. I think uh, that was kind of rushed out for Hascon. If I'm if I'm gonna be well, honest. and the and the thing is, these sets that are also stinkers are sets that because they were stinkers because there wasn't really any good cards. Yep, in Yep, exactly. And that that like was my the... that was my point. Can you imagine iconic? Like if you had iconic. Uh, cards in iconic, like actual iconic cards in iconic masters, like reserve right. list cards. <laughs> that, that set would be a would be a gold mine. Now yeah, this this is the thing. As soon as you put a gold mine into a box, the value of that gold mine is no longer gold. There's there's only so much that you can put into a box and expect it to maintain yes, value. That's completely correct. Yeah. But, yeah. but and you then can you also, put it on the shelf. Right. You but you so, also have you also have something like the box toppers that are coming out for UMA where you can have one card in in the box that you know is going to be this high value card and then you charge an extra eighty dollars for the box. That's what they're coming up to. Like the right. it's price it's the price of the packs plus like eighty bucks or hundred bucks on top of that. Especially Wizards has announced that Ultimate Masters is the last master set they're going to be doing for a while. You know why? Because the wells run dry. They've run out of really good reprints to put in Masters box. People are getting tired of them. So like, you know what? Let's put the master set on the shelf for a while. Ten years from now, when these cards have gone back up to a certain heights and, and the luster of master sets is coming back into people's eyes, you bet your ass Wizards is going to dust off the master's brand and bring it back because it the time has come. It's not like this is going to be the policy for for all time, we're just saying, give us an injection of reserve list cards to keep the party going. Then take them, put them back on the reserve list for a while. That's fine. Just get that injection in there. Let people play with the cards, play the game, keep up, replace some of the copies that were lost or damaged, and it'll hold us over for five, ten years, and then do it again when prices get back to where they are. Now, Wizards doing that and repealing the reserve list and doing such a small amount of reprinting that it won't significantly change its revenue is the worst of both worlds. You're not increasing the supply for players. You said you want to keep it the same. You're not increasing wizards revenue because you're doing it on such a small scale. It's, it gets the, the pushback from the anti-reserve list crowd shocks the market, disrupts the business model all for no benefit. I feel like that's the worst way of going about Tom. it. 
your argument's completely hypothetical, and yet we have the master sets proving that this is entirely doable, and not only is it doable, very, very successful. Imagine if Wizards did for Legacy what it did for Modern with the master sets. What the master set, the first master set proves to me is that when you create these Tarmogoyfs, you add these Tarmogoyfs to the market, more demand comes in. There's found demand. There's people who want to transition to that format. Uh, sorry, Nate, I cut you off, but I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, but that's Jerry. The, that's I just want to make idea. sure that, that yeah. Jerry, the thing about the modern master sets, so I do want to. I'm trying to be balanced here. No, you're fine. Uh, the thing about the modern master sets is that people who had their stuff reprinted out from under them bought those cards originally, knowing that they were not on the reserve list, and that gets to the the question about. What's... Yes, I mean that comes to the promise, and that is that is a point I will concede to Ooh. Ian and Tom is it is a promise, and you're right, it would be breaking a promise. But I think at some point you have to uh, hurt a few people in order for the benefit to the greater many. I think it is okay that these hoarders who have been collecting hundreds and hundreds of copies of reserve list cards to spike them i think it's okay to hurt them to allow your average players to get the chance to play that the format that they love i'm totally fine with the guy who has 400 copies of moat under his mattress i'm totally fine with him being hurt so that the average player can play with it i'm saying that because i am that guy i'm that person who has all of these reserve list cards and if they get rid of the reserve list you're damn right i'm gonna lose a ton of value but i am okay with that because i love legacy and i want legacy to be healthy for many many years to come and i'm willing to take that hit and i'm sure there are other people out there that are selfish and don't, aren't willing to take that hit and they have their own reasons for doing that but i think for the greater good it's it's we we must make that sacrifice it's gonna Jerry, be it's gonna be it's gonna be selfish, it's gonna be a waterbed if i were being selfish i would want exactly what you want i want legacy to do well i what i'm saying is that i don't think that's actually in the best interest of the company and I believe that's what Tom is saying as well. Like, yes, I'm not. I'm not saying that. you guys are selfish because you want the reserve list. I'm saying the the hoarders who don't want the reserve list repealed for the sole reason that they are going to lose money. There are people out there who have come out and publicly said that they will sue Wizards of the Coast if they ever get rid of the reserve list because they're losing value. Those are the people that I'm okay with hurting. Jerry, can you make Jerry? Can you make an argument that that the that repealing the reserve list would be good for Wizards business, or that it's not better, or that um, that oh yeah, yeah. I, it it's actively hurting wizards. I mean, this is a huge, very valuable intellectual property that wizards has locked in a vault and cannot use ever again. Imagine if Disney said, uh, "We promised we wouldn't make any more Mickey Mouse cartoons, so we're putting him away and we're never going to use him again." Sorry, we we we, we promise we're not using Mickey Mouse anymore. Like that's insane. Wizards is a company based around intellectual property. Their entire brand is intellectual property and yet they have chosen to lock one of their most nostalgic and valuable intellectual properties in this in this weird contractual agreement where they can't tap into it but they, and at, but they can they can tap into it digitally they could tap into it with gold bordered promo reprints and so do that do, do gold border reprints <laughs> Let's get to the root of it. I mean, when we talk reserve lists, we're talking about dual lands. I mean, yes, there are other reserve list cards that are a problem, like Tabernacle and Mode and Candelabra. But ninety nine per yeah, like there there are the the cards, but the 
vast majority of what players complain about is the price of dual lands. And 99% of the of the reserve list is garbage that no one could care one way or another that gets reprinted. What we're talking about is the mana base, which is key to the format. And that mana base is, I guarantee you, in almost every single competitive EDH deck. They will all be running dual lands. That's why I think the greatest place to put these reprints is in fucking super primo premium EDH decks. Like imagine a set of EDH decks that came out and each one had a different dual land in it. What's the price point? $335. Honestly, my first thought was like $250 and I, yeah, I'd probably buy it. It's like the Scrubland one probably wouldn't sell, but like drops would sell, Tundras would sell, and it would almost set like this artificial price point. It's like, okay, Blue Duels can't really get above $250 because that's how much you can honestly, even if you just buy it for the dual land and throw the rest of the deck away, that's totally fine by me. So it's print to demand is what you're saying? I don't nec- I'm not necessarily arguing that. I mean, I'm not saying there should be a continuous printing, but I'm saying they should print a large enough number that it causes an influx of the card. I think the same way that they handled Fetchlands, uh, but being a bit more restrictive because Fetchlands see play in other formats like Modern. Um, I don't think they would need to print it in like a standard set like they did the Fetchlands. But I think uh, kind of taking that same approach where, yeah, Fetchlands were getting insane. We needed to increase the quantity available. They should print enough that it would make a noticeable change in what are available so more players can play, but not necessarily printed into the ground. Like, I'm not for printing reserveless cards into the ground. I don't think we should have $5 underground seas. I think what, what you're getting at is, is interesting in that there should be, uh, uh, even the, the pyramid uh, um, theory that, I don't remember if it was Tom or Ian, sorry, who said it exactly, but the pyramid where you should have this, like, you, you build up into a format and there should be some exclusivity. I think that's all possible. Even if the if you even if there's no reserved list, and one thing that I think I, um, I want to ask Tom and Ian about because I, th- I found this so interesting that your your one a big part of your argument is from the perspective that no one would want to play standard if there was an alternative. Do you think that that's the only reason people play standard because that's what they can afford? And I and I'm and, I, and I'm, I'm serious because like if if the problem is that wizards can't create a game that is refreshing in multiple formats i mean there are so many formats i I just got back from eternal weekend there were people playing old school i was playing some pre-modern there's i got a friend who's got something called a battle box there's all sorts of fun formats out there they need one that really you know i guess runs the uh keeps the lights on right and that's got to be standard they got they have to have a better they have to have a better reason for why people should play standard other than you can't afford to play other formats right i mean but the, the problem is, as soon as older formats become more accessible, like like we're talking about, then you need to make standard a more engaging and fun format to play. And the more formats that people have access to, the more competition you have for players' time. So if Legacy was more open for players, you have such a deep cart pool with super complex and strategic play that is really hard for a three block set to compete with. So standard is the hook that gets players in. And I I don't, I don't think that there's any argument that the reason why most people, most new people, most people who aren't as invested in magic as we all are play standard is because of the cost. And when you get into magic whether it be limited or 
kitchen table magic, standard is the easiest jump to make. See, the thing is, you're under this impression that if other formats were more accessible, they would just automatically jump into those formats because it's obviously better to sta than standard, which is what we believe because we are legacy players. But there are loads and loads of standard players out there who don't have any desire to play other formats. They are very happy with standard. And the thing is, without these eternal formats, those are the players that you lose when you have a terrible standard experience. When we were talking before about how modern got a huge influx of players, it was because standard was miserable and no one wanted to play it. If modern didn't exist and legacy is inaccessible for the average standard player, know what would happen to those standard players? They would not play magic. They would go play Hearthstone. They would go play other games and wizards would lose their revenue 100%. These eternal formats keep players engaged with the game when their primary format of choice is no longer interesting to them and it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like once you switch camps, you never switch back. You, there are going to be players who dabble in many different formats and who are going to still play standard as their primary choice because I think what we're all forgetting Wizards does the greatest promotion of standard of all time with the Pro Tour. By making the Pro Tour focused on standard, which while they have done other formats like like Modern, we do know that their fo focus is on standard. That encourages players that if you want to be the best in the world, if you want to play Magic on the highest stage, you have to play standard. I know I will never be world champion because I will never put in the time to learn standard, and I'm okay with that. But there are lots of other players out there that their goal is to be the best in the world, they want to take down BBD, they want to take down Reed Duke, and in order to do that, they need to play standard. Now, why does Wizards promote standard more than all of the other formats? Well, because it's the closest one tied to the revenue. But that is what we saw. That is what we saw under the old model. We have since seen Wizards diversify its income stream with things like Commander decks, Battle Bonds, Conspiracy, the Master sets. We have seen Wizards diversify it where they don't have as much need for the Pro Tour to pump out standard cards because their revenue is not solely coming from standard packs now. I remember when I first started playing, it was basically standard sets, and that is it. That is all Wizards made. And and. We we already we already just heard from wizards that they're stepping back from master sets because like you said earlier they're out of gas not because it was a failure, but because it's time to give it a break. And you know what? They have lots of other products to step in and fill that gap. They are not stepping away from Battle Bond or Conspiracy or Commander decks. They're not stepping away from secondary products. They're stepping away from this specific secondary product because they recognize that it's time to give it some room to breathe. That is it. They're not saying they're never coming back to it. They're saying, hey, we've done this. It's been fun. We're going out with a bang. Let's chill out for a bit. We'll come back in a couple years. I don't. I don't know. I feel like wizards. I'm sorry. I'm a bit of projecting my my opinion here, but the way they've been rolling out sets at such a rate over the past couple of years has really been more indicative of me that that it's not the reserve list is, still exists and they're still having trouble keeping the revenue up. That they're trying a lot of gimmicks. That they try the uh, masterpieces. That, by the way, I say gimmick, but I don't necessarily mean that's bad. Um, well, no, we understand. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's more from just a business sense where it's not that they're struggling to keep revenue up. They're struggling to grow the game. Now, Wizards is still making money. They're still, um, you know, making money hand over fist. They're doing better today than they were 10 years ago. But the thing is, because they're owned by Hasbro, Hasbro is a publicly traded company. If you're not growing, you're dying. You're, they need to not only maintain their income, they need to be year over year increasing growth. And I think they are starting to run out of run out of tricks. 
And I think that is actually what I'm more afraid of is that we're going to get to the point where the wizard is so far out of tricks that they're like, fuck it. You know what? We're getting rid of the reserve list. We're not doing it in a careful way. We're not doing it in any way that you guys want. We are doing it as the cash grab. And I think in that situation, Ian and Tom would be 100% correct, which is why I'm saying rip off the Band-Aid now before we get to that stage of the game. I feel like the year-over-year growth that Wizards really needs to focus on is their digital client. Because the profit margin on a digital version, something that can compete with Hearthstone, like Arena, is really where they want to put all of their focus. And repealing the reserve list and interjecting that sort of disruption into their business model while having Arena in flux right now would be super negative for their business. Well, I mean, first of all, I think that proves our point that because uh, the future of Magic is digital, I think we can all agree on that. The fact that the future of Magic is digital and the reserve list does not exist on digital cards. I mean, look at fucking Magic Online, and it is beautiful. The, there are so many legacy players on there. Uh, you can build decks for really cheap, get into the format, play the great game. This is why the majority of my game is on Magic Online, because the reserve list isn't, isn't in play, and I can play with so many people whenever I want. The future of Magic is digital. Reserve list doesn't exist on in digital why are we having this dichotomy of two separate systems for paper and in digital you know let's try and get paper to be, have the same advantages that magic that uh digital does but the reason why digital is the future is because it isn't tied to paper and they right. can sort of cut the lgs out of their business model by moving to digital and we've seen quite a few moves from wizards that have sort of shocked the store owners that i know and i think that Wizards focusing on eternal formats in paper is is really not the right direction to go to build not, their revenue. We're not saying focus on it. We're saying just throw us a bone for Christ's sake. And while you're at it, make a buck or two. We're not saying that they should pivot their entire business model to be entirely about repealing the reserve list. We're saying do this really smart move, you'll make some money, you'll make players happy, and you'll keep people interested in your game and more likely to try your other products, which, hey, oh, you're starting up this awesome, cool digital version of the game? Hey, I really like your decision so far, I'm going to try it out. Compared to, oh, you know, this game's dying, I don't see a future for it, why am I going to get invested in the digital side of things if they can't handle their paper side? I think the synergy between paper and digital being like a focus on standard and paper and standard being what you can play on digital. Literally the only thing you can play on arena is really key to them, to their business model right now. I think that pushing eternal, you know, any, any amount of reserve list cards entering the system, even if you go to an extreme and you're saying only, you know, a few hundred copies of each reserve list card is entering the market every year. That's, that's taking focus off any any number of reserve list cards injected is taking focus away from standard and that's just not something that they should be interested in you can say the same for commander for modern masters the same exact argument yet you don't you don't say that you want these other products to disappear so i I don't i don't agree with the hypocrisy of that statement who who has played arena has anyone anyone here played arena besides me i've played arena i have you guys have all played played it I haven't played it since the beta, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, one of the things about Arena that's that's interesting is that the economy is totally different. They've mm. given up. Mm. It, it's not a replication of the collectible model at all. It's this very gamified, you know, experience that doesn't really have a secondary market at all. No, I mean, no, right. it, it, 
it has zero secondary market. It's all about either paying into the system or grinding out packs for you know daily, essentially. How much say, money have you guys spent? Honestly, $0. let's just go around. Let's go around. Zero, 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 zero yeah, dollars. Zero fucking dollars. But, but that doesn't mean you Nate, know that doesn't. Nate, mean, I spent sixty bucks. Ah, oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but, care. I mean, I don't. I don't blame Nate because this this is the model that's been adopted by the wider video yeah. game market. Fucking, I play Clash Royale, which I honestly think is the best mobile card game out there. Wait, it's, it's a, Clash Royale is an amazing game. I've sunk money into that <laughs> game, and it is the same exact model. Isn't that a tower? Game. I thought that was a tower defense game. Well, that's the thing. It's a tower defense card game mashup. It's awesome. You should play no, it. Thanks. I'll, now, why do you I'll, think? No. It's, why do you think it's bad that I've given Wizards of the Coast some money so I can? Because play it? you I sunk our argument, bro. <laughs> 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 Wait, what? Explain this to me. His I whole was... argument, his whole argument was that no one would ever give Wizards money through Arena. No, no legacy player would be doing buying into Arena. I would pay, I would pay money into Arena if they had like legacy cards. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Hold on a second. I want to let me let me let me explain my point of why I put money into Arena because Magic has always been a game where if I wanted a deck, I give someone money and they give me the deck. <laughs> And this was the only. Seriously, I'm, I'm not kidding. Fair like, play. No, fair I'm, play. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play some goony limited deck, you know, for hours. I don't have time for that. I want to look at a standard deck, say, "Oh, that sounds fun," and then play it. You know, if that's all they're offering me, and sixty bucks. So you play? You, do you play standard in paper, Nate? No, I only played on Arena. I only to goof around, but the games are like five minutes long. It's awesome. Okay. And I. And I so. I mean, to me, now the thing is, like, people, different people, different, you know, financial situations and different, you know, objectives. And, you know, putting in, you know, 60 bucks every, what, quarter is not going to break the bank for me at all. But, you know. But the nice, you know thing about, I, the nice thing about Arena is that it also has the model where as long as you're going there every day and doing the quests and earning your gold or whatever the fuck, sorry, you can, you can like, get your, your, uh, cards i don't know how you what, what they're called in arena but you can dust your cards whatever it is you can get rid of all these extra cards you can get these wild cards you can build decks if you want to grind it out so it, there's two options to play there you can either grind it out to make these decks really slowly or you can like like uh like nate said just pay 60 bucks and make the decks you want well the thing is time, what happened was time I is built, time is money i built my time deck. T- the time the time that you spend grinding for those cards that you want to build your deck by the time you're done with that, the new set has already come out, and you're back at it again, and you never actually got to but play. But you with need them. to. But hold on, hold on. But what you need to remember, and this is way off topic now, you need to remember who Arena is made for. It's not made for spikes. It's not made for for tournament grinders. It is made for uh, players to enjoy. It, it it's it's basically back to kitchen table magic style magic. Like I I enjoy playing the the precon decks. I haven't even built a regular deck. I'll play the precons like over and over again, and they're not even good decks. But it's like playing kitchen table magic all over again. I'm just picking up this deck. It's like oh, this cool black zombies deck. It has zombie lords in there. It has like grave crawlers and stuff, and it's a lot of fun. And that and that's and that's what arena is. Arena is more. Uh, it's it's a lot less spiky than Magic Online. If you want a high level of play, you're you're. I mean, for the most part, you're in the wrong place. I'd like to I'd like to try and, and and bring this the reason I wanted to talk about Arena or why we I, I encourage us to talk about Arena here a little bit is the fact that Arena is a totally different kind of economy that is not based on here's here's my money give me a deck or give me a card indicates just how much the game has changed since the you know apocalypse that people seem to remember that I don't remember 
from when Chronicles were, was released. I don't remember there being the apocalypse that people say there is, but the point is that like the world has changed completely, and this enti- their entire model is up in is up for um, is sort of up review. for review. Yeah, up for debate about whether or not it's going to work. I mean, look. Sure, I'm, I don't want to diminish. I'm sorry, Pat. I called them Goonie Limited decks. No, like, no, no. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I look. I'm like, okay, I want to play Arena, but I don't want to just. I don't want to just like. I also don't want to just get my my ass beat by someone who has like a good deck. Yeah. Because I'm playing this thing. I don't. That, that, I don't have time for that. I've got two kids. I got a job. I got a wife who runs her own business. I do this podcast or my podcast or show whatever. But like, you know, I've got limited time. I want to play something that's going to be that's going to resonate with me and be interesting. What happened was. I built the deck, I played it for a while, it got bad, and then I was like, oh, I don't have any more wild cards. And then until they wiped my account, I didn't come back. So I'm kind of hoping they wipe our accounts every standard and give us back our gems. There's no more wipe. I know, I'm just kidding. I, I know they're not going oh. to do it, but I'm like, <laughs> that was the only reason I that was the only reason I came back to play it. And there are going to be people who are like that. They're like, sure, I'll dip my toe in. Okay, I put some money in to get a good deck. Oh, this deck isn't good or not legal anymore. Huh, I got to put more money in? Or I could just go do something else? I don't know, man. Like, there's no that's value. Gonna be real it. Yeah. So, that's Nate, what that's Nate for what it's worth, I agree completely that the the Chronicles, like the you know the the panic or whatever from Chronicles being reprinted, was actually overblown. And I think that they just seized that small panic because they realized that they could turn this into a revenue stream that could get them 25 years down the road, still a successful company, growing at like a sustainable rate over this long period of time. Versus this company that was hamstrung by what they printed in the past and could eventually either have to put that in danger or never have these cards reach, you know, like a significant value over time. Ian, I'm not sure if I totally understand where you're coming from in that. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong. But after reading the um, uh, what was it? The, the, the Titus Chalk book. Uh, and I can't recall the name of it right now, but he went pretty deep on the Chronicles fiasco that that was there. And a lot of the reasons why that decision was made wasn't necessarily because of uh, reaction from collectors, which, of course, there was. But. Um, Magic at that time as a brand was really poorly managed and a lot of these people didn't know how to manage uh, a major uh, company like that. A lot of these guys were brought on. They were friends of friends. They were not qualified for the positions that they were in. There was a a lot of a lot of uh, really unusual uh, kind of interpersonal uh, interactions that were that certainly were not good for the company were not good looks and and today would be a huge fiasco um so i i still think that like the reaction to the chronicles issue was more born out of the fact that no one really knew how to manage that company at the time and i don't i don't know how much stock we can put in that in that decision today i completely agree with you that to a degree it was a blind squirrel finding a nut but once they realized they had that nut they they chewed it to fuck they they uh, yeah, did I but agree. i can agree on that strange idiom i can agree but <laughs> they did but but real but quick my, real, but, but, real... No, but, but my point was that they 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 knew they were sitting on a gold mine but they still didn't know how how to how to uh how to to um, to mine it properly i guess is the best way to put it and i th- i think it took them a long time to get to that point where they actually had people in positions of power who were legitimate like who legitimately knew the correct decisions to make. I think a lot of it was was blind luck. And I just things like the reserve list promise were were born out of this desire to just keep this company afloat because they were terrified of what was going to happen if they went belly up. And, and it, it had happened. It had happened in the comics industry and they did not want that to happen for them. Um, and I think I think it was a knee jerk reaction out of complete sheer panic to keep things going, to keep the good times rolling. And I just don't know how much of that, 
how much longer can we live with a decision that the reasoning behind it was was illogical or or wasn't wasn't reasoned out properly their biggest mistake that really shot them in the foot was getting rid of the promo loophole there were Mox Diamond promos. Imagine if, if that still existed. I don't think we would be having this conversation. It would provide the safety valve yeah, that we need. Yeah. But real, real, real quick, before we get too far away from it, I just want to point out, I think for all of us, and we can re- revisit this in a couple of years, is I think uh, Arena is going to be a, a really good uh, kind of case study because Arena doesn't have that eternal pyramid that we talked about earlier. There's nowhere for those cards to go. But I think, be, I think gonna that's be really why interesting. Modern- it's going to be really let me finish. There's, it's going to be really interesting. Tom loves interrupting me. <laughs> well, you fucking talk a lot. Like, you oh just my, go. I literally oh, okay. just hey, hey, hey. Jerry, Jerry, 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be very interesting Time's to up. see. No, just 30 uh, seconds. <laughs> It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Arena for the average player length, that if we are going to see these quick bursts of players where they come in and then they leave, they come in and they leave, compared to what we have traditionally seen in paper, where we see people who are in Legacy are in it for the long haul. Tom, your response. I think that's why the format that Ian was talking about earlier, the sort of new modern, is going to to come out of that Arena cycle. So the first sets that are in Arena are going to linger, and that new modern is going to be based off of the sets that are available on that client. And I think that's what everybody's predicting. Yeah, and I think that is a tip of the hat towards Wizards, recognizing that these eternal sets are something that's needed. And while it's not something that's going to exist on Arena, it's something that already exists in paper, so you might as well keep that train going. It doesn't take that much effort. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, Ian. That was that was all I wanted to say. I think there's a pretty big bridge to cross, though, because how these cards, these old cards in your collection, let's say that you weren't playing from day one, how do you get these cards in Arena, right? There, yeah, there's that's what no I was bridge wondering. Right there, now. There's no secondary market. There's no way to get older cards. Well, so if you start Arena late, how do you get into new modern? Your, your wild cards can be used to purchase cards in any set that are available. So getting a wild card of that rarity would allow you to go back and get it. And you can also like but then how sorry, go, go ahead, Ian. But then how do the older cards have like a value higher than the current standard cards? They don't. There's no value. That's how arena is. There's there's no difference in value of individual cards. It's just it, well by rarity. The rarity right? yeah, that exactly. that card was printed out. I'm sorry, I don't I don't mean to talk over you, uh but yeah, you're right. Like a rare is a rare is a rare is a rare. It doesn't matter if it's from this set or from Onket or from Theros. And the same thing with Mythics and Commons and Uncommons. With that, it's very clear that Wizards does not like the secondary market. Wizards, in fact, for years failed to even acknowledge the secondary market even existed. And still to this day, they're very coy about it, which I think is very telling that the only thing that Wizards cares about when it comes to reprints is the number of copies available for players to play with. And based on that argument alone, I can't see how they would allow the reserve list to continue because the fact that they hate the the secondary market just shows that, yes, they recognize these cards don't have enough copies out there. Uh, we got about 10 minutes before we hit an hour here. Okay. Is there anything we want to make sure we hit before we wrap up? Yeah, one more thing, and it's something that I was uh, on Twitter today with Saffron Olive. One thing that the reserve list does, it does guarantee, and it's going to co- become a bigger problem in the future, um, are counterfeits. And whenever you make a mm. card that, whenever you make something that will never be reprinted again, and the stock of those is only going up and up and up, uh, you cannot get more of them. Um, they are 
the stock of them is going up and the actual physical stock of them continues to decrease in that they're becoming more and more rare, regardless of how much we protect them. Um, that's only going to uh, increase uh, the potential for counterfeit cards. Um, and also that, that there's also this really um, unfortunate interaction right now that's happening where people who are playing with counterfeits are getting banned uh, when they when people find out they're playing with counterfeits at tournaments. And um, I don't know if it's and that's because the counterfeits are getting so well, th- good. That, it's going to get to the point where they're in. Yes, and that, that's my other point. But but people are getting banned for playing counterfeit cards, whether or not they knew they were counterfeits. So. That bothers me because as a player, I don't think it's on me to make sure that my cards are real because it's up. It's Wizards is the one who should be protecting their IP. I think putting that back on your players is is a bad look. Um, Yeah, and and that's it. That's absolutely it, Jerry. If the cards become this valuable, there is absolutely 100% reason for counterfeiters to make these cards look as good as they can. Uh, It's going to so it's going to it's going to make that even worse. So both of the players, as I understand, both of the like big name suspensions that have happened recently have been Cavern of Souls. It was the card that they had counterfeited. Uh, I remember right before I quit playing Magic in 1998, I was like a 14-year-old kid or whatever sitting down next to some 30-year-old neckbeard who told me that in- indistinguishable counterfeits of Black Lotus were two years away. This is 1998, okay? That never happened. That still has not happened. And as these cards age, the the idea that they're going to be counterfeited becomes like almost this absurd well, proposition. Hold on. It's, Ian, well, going. Let me just say, Vintage, on, Vintage, Champs oh, was, sorry, uh, Vintage Champs was 438 players, I think, something like that. 400 and something. The, the, you're going to know the counterfeits are good when there's 1,000 players at Vintage Champs. And that's going to be a horrible. <laughs> that is going to be a feel yeah. bad of all feel bads. Well, what it, what it comes down to is look at the art worlds. You have the most valuable pieces of art that are reproduced and counterfeited, and they go for years and years without being discovered. It's not that they're never going to be discovered, but it's going to get to the point where it's inefficient to pick them out of a crowd. There are so many cards you have to look for, and the counterfeits are so close, and you have to spend so much time. You know, it's going to get to the point where it's not possible to check for counterpoints. Like, our friend Michelle, our shop owner, has torn up a Mox Emerald. She tore a Mox Emerald in half because she was convinced it was fake. Guess what? Turns out it was real. Shut up. And I would trust her. I would trust her to grade cards with my life. She's one of the most knowledgeable people I know, and people make mistakes, and things happen. It's not that these cards are perfect. It's that they're so good it's gotten to a point that it's inefficient to catch them on a large scale i mean, i got the vapors here from that story jeez <laughs> you know i think it might have actually been a, a, mo- a that, true that was a sound of five it. buttholes puckering up real fast <laughs> yeah ian ian can confirm that that is a true story <laughs> yeah i don't want to but i can confirm. oh that's awful oh, that hurts and she is very knowledgeable. I would trust her grading my collection. Like, like Pat, Pat, Ian, and Tom, and Nate, you guys are my witnesses. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, take my collection to Michelle. I, that, is, that is what you guys should do. Well, we've got about five minutes now. And uh, I do want to yeah. um, say that I think uh, you guys did a good job, you know, of, of staying on your topics. I, you know, my perspective is that, I think that one of the reasons we're all passionate about this, and one thing that really stood out from what both Ian and Tom said in their original cast and tonight, and what Pat and Jerry said, is that there's anxiety over the future of Legacy. And the question is, what's the best way to make Legacy a thing that can continue? Because as we all, I mean, Pat was putting kids to bed, right? My kids are reading dinner. We all got other obligations. We want this to this thing to be here when, uh, 
you know, when we want it to be there, you know, whether it's quarterly or once a month or whatever it is or weekly or whatever. Or for our kids. Yeah. We want our kids to be able to enjoy and it. And I think that it's it's interesting to see the different perspectives on what what is more detrimental to the uh, – what could be potentially more detrimental to the sort of proliferation of the game. Um, I think Ian and Tom are right, for example, that, you know, without Wizards, there really is no – with it, there is no legacy anyway, so we just got to do what they got to do. On the other hand, I clearly agree with Pat and Jerry that eventually you're going to outstrip the, the potential for these cards to even have a format to be played in. I saw so many cards behind slabs at Eternal Weekend. I saw a Samite Healer under a slab. <laughs> that is wrong. That is that is that is the best argument against the reserve list. <laughs> that's not I've even a reserve. Heard. Clearly, that's not <laughs> a reserve list card. But oh, Jerry, why, why are you anti Samite? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, man. Sorry, deep secrets. Oh, no. So oh, you know, no. I mean, obviously, we it's all feel over. We do this. We do this for. <laughs> we do this. Um, we do this for a reason because we have passion about this format, and uh, you know, I just really hope that we can. It's some that there can be some way for for legacy to uh, to you know keep going for the next ten, twenty years if magic even keeps going that long. I mean, you know, it's it, it's I, I it's so funny because I really don't disagree with Ian and Tom. Other than the fact that we we look at the same evidence and come to a different conclusion about what that will mean five years down the road. I'm a business reporter, and I report on businesses, and I've I've covered businesses. I've covered Hasbro. I used to work for a toy magazine, right? And you know, Wizards and Magic is in such is is so different from what it was in '95 '96 um, that it's it's both remarkable and terrifying that the game is still around and that we still have people this passionate about it. So that's my sort of closing statement and I'll give you guys a chance to give yours as well. But you know, yeah, I, I think that's well said, Nate. I would just say, I mean, yeah, it's plain and simple. At the end of the day, we're all here because we love the game and we all want what's best for the game. We may disagree on what we think the best course of action is, but I mean, all of us have the game's best interests at heart. Ian and Tom are gracious hosts. Final comments. So is a toy magazine? No, no, do it. It has to be simultaneous. Okay. Has to be simultaneous. <laughs> yeah. Also, Pat didn't get his. Well, side, no, I, I have. <laughs> I have my. I will do mine after Tommy, and I have it written down. Is it the Pochinko Shut ball? Up. Because that Let could that could sink my entire my entire <laughs> spiel. That last last hour down that, the that, drain. That'll be the end of it. That'll be the end. That'll be after Tommy and. <laughs> and strong. Really, really quickly, I wanted to just say one thing that I wanted to splice back into the counterfeit thing. So, since counterfeits of reserve list cards are sort of out of wizards business model wizards is more hurt by perfect counterfeits of newer cards like ian was talking about cavern of souls and it's much easier to get away with counterfeiting fetch lands and shock lands and caverns and goifs on a large scale than it is to counterfeit a dual land and try to simulate the age of your card does that make sense? I I would disagree just with the hollow stamp that the fact that Wizards is taking steps to make cards more difficult to print means that in the future, especially new cards are going to be much more difficult to print. We do have this weird dichotomy where, yeah, I agree, like things in the modern era before the hollow stamp was introduced, I think those are definitely the easiest things to the reprint. But I definitely think reserveless cards are easier to reprint than the newest cards that have these anti-counterfeit uh, security measures. The reserveless counter, uh, counterfeits hurt people who own reserveless cards because it impacts their liquidity and it impacts their value. Like, and it also impacts their trust in the product. 
when when you're when they're going to when you're going to move it. So that's that's one that's an interesting point, Tom. Because like yes, the counterfeits of cavernous souls hurt wizards. The counterfeits of reserve list cards hurt the people who are leading on the reserve list. They don't exactly. And you know it's 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 a real it's a real minefield. We didn't I for, totally forgot about counterfeits until you mentioned it. I wish we had more time. But. <laughs> Well, I'd love to. You know, uh, we should we, we should have more roundtables on business in magic. I know. Like, <laughs> I like it. Hey, we're starting. A, we're starting a business podcast. <laughs> so, Nate, I I just want to ask: Is a toy magazine a magazine about toys or a literal <laughs> toy of a magazine? It is. It that is, kids learn about magazines. From? I got to tell you, you would not. One of the funny things about it was that um, it was a magazine about toys, a trade magazine for the toy industry. It went to like toy store owners and stuff. Um, one of the funniest things that, well, I mean, like sort of funniest things that I, that I experienced, like, I didn't really tell anyone this was, it was so weird to cover Hasbro as part of my beat and to, like talk to their PR people and talk to their like executives, remembering the like crazy kerfuffle when this company bought Wizards of the Coast and also not wanting anyone <laughs> to know that I remembered that. So <laughs> yeah. nice. that was 23. Uh, but, yeah. So, so Jerry, you believe that the, the, Hasbro board is being negligent, right? Uh, I think negligent is strong. I think Hasbro, I think the people who have the power to re- uh, repeal the reserve list don't care enough to do so. And the people who want the reserve list to be repealed within the company don't have the pull or don't have the balls to go to the people who have the pull in order to make it happen. I don't have high hopes for having the reserve list repealed because I don't think it's a big enough issue for the the people who wear the pants at Hasbro to have taken notice yet. 2019 is a very big year for this game, from Legacy right on down. I think, like you're gonna, we're gonna learn a lot about Arena and what that does. We're gonna learn a lot about what game stores can, how game stores can hang on, and if Wizards tournaments are uh, are enough of a pull to like play their game at a high level. I mean, look what's happening, you know, with Jerry and all that stuff. Jerry Thompson, sorry, Jerry. Um, uh, the the other Jerry, the other Jerry, the other Jerry, <laughs> the, other Jerry. The, one, the one I'm on a first name basis with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do ask you to call me Mr. Me. Yeah, right. Um, and then the other thing is with Legacy, I mean, you, again, we're going to have another year where we're going to be finding our tournaments around, figuring out how things, you know, what we can get people to come to and what the good, you know, prize support is. I think 2019 is going to be a very interesting year. 25th, I guess 26th year, but I still consider Magic 1994. I get the you final, word? final word? All right. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> excuse me I'm a little, Pat's gonna undo a little, all my spirit and defense cold, in, so. in five <laughs> minutes me. I'm gonna do my best here Pat's campaign begins today the year is 2025 Robo Dogs from Boston Dynamics roam the streets Beto O'Rourke <laughs> is enjoying his second term as our president <clears throat> I want you to imagine a giant sphere of wire hollow and able to rotate on an axis now fill that sphere with ping pong balls each with a number corresponding to a reserve list card. At every Pro Tour, five balls are selected from said sphere. The cards are now off the reserve list. In one year, this allows collectors to offload their collections. After the refractory, refractory period, the card is now fair game for reprints. Refractory period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Do we need to do anything else before we get out of here? So thank you guys. I'm sorry. I I told Jerry fucking talks a lot. 
<laughs> he does, though. <laughs> that's, not, I think, that's not a lie. I told you to watch out for Jerry. Uh, thank, thank you guys for coming on. I had an outstanding time. And I hope this doesn't turn into a shit show when we when we edit all of this together. But I think we yeah. got a ton of just great stuff. Yeah, I thought this was a really good conversation. I think this was awesome. This yeah, was a lot I, of fun. I had a really, really good fun. time. I would be down for this 100% again. All right, so if you want to find anybody on Twitter, just randomly, all at once, just say your Twitter. At Pat Uglow. <laughs> Jamie, Pat always says mine, At J-M-E-E-3-R-D. At M underscore R underscore G. At T Smiley MTG. And I'm at Ian, not Ann, <laughs> Ian, I A N, 18125. And Nate, you never plugged your podcast, bro. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it, man. You can, you can find it. Uh, yeah, you can, find, you can find me on Eternal Dirtles, which is a top two podcast on the Hipsters of the Coast platform. <laughs> top two legacy podcasts. <laughs> I've, been working, I've been sitting on that joke all day and I blew it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, we're, you know, like uh, our compatriots, uh, we're leaving legacy, we're posting every week, one of us on Monday, one of us on Friday. Hell yeah. All right, well, I have to do, I have to do the outro.